chapter 40. I'm going to have Sister Kim read it to you in just a moment. It's not a long chapter, 23 verses, but there again, a lot of powerful stuff going on here. We're dealing with Joseph now. We saw the fact that his brothers betrayed him. His father thinks he's dead. He was put in a pit. He wound up in Potiphar's house. All of these things, uh, you know, are ups and downs along the journey here. But Joseph is on a, a trail of destiny here. He's wound up in Potiphar's house, falsely accused, and winds up in prison, falsely accused. What a horrible situation to be accused of something you didn't do and nobody believes you. But we see Joseph in prison here, God continuing to move upon him and use him and really just uh, incredible how God promotes him and gives him authority and gives him favor. Uh, I want to say something before I bless the word and we hear it tonight. Favor is more important than almost anything else in your life. Favor will get you further than money. Favor will get you further than talent. Favor will get you further than all your grit and determination. It won't get you further than integrity. Now it got quiet. But favor is important. And we see the favor of God on Joseph's life. Father, I pray tonight as we open up this chapter, Lord, that uh, you would just cement some things in our hearts tonight, Lord, that how we conduct ourselves and how we live and what we... Uh, what we hope to be, Lord God, that we would be people of integrity, that we would be people of principle, and that we would live in such a way that we would attract the favor of God to our lives. Father, I pray as the word goes forth and you open it up to us, Holy Spirit, that each of us would go home with something from the Father's heart, encouraged and stretched and challenged, because that's what your word does, and that's what we came for tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Chapter 40. Forty. Then it came about after these things, the cupbearer and the baker for the king of Egypt offended their lord, the king of Egypt. Pharaoh was furious with his two officials, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. So he put them in confinement in the house of the captain of the bodyguard in the jail, the same place where Joseph was imprisoned. The captain of the bodyguard put Joseph in charge of them, and he took care of them, and they were in confinement for some time. Then the, king, then the cupbearer and the baker for the king of Egypt, who were confined in jail, both had a dream the same night, each man with his own dream, and each dream with its own interpretation. When Joseph came to them in the morning and observed them, behold, they were dejected. He asked Pharaoh's officials, who were with him in confinement in his master's house, why are your faces so sad today? Then they said to him, we have had a dream, and there is no one to interpret it. Then Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Tell it to me, please. So the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph and said to him, In my dream, behold, there was a vine in front of me, and on the vine were three branches. And as it was budding, its blossoms came out, and its clusters produced ripe grapes. Now Pharaoh's cup was in my hand. So I took the grapes and squeezed them into Pharaoh's cup, and I put the cup into Pharaoh's hand. Then Joseph said to him, this is the interpretation of it. The three branches are three days. 
Within three more days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office, and you will put Pharaoh's cup into his hand according to your former custom when you were his cupbearer. Only keep me in mind when it goes well with you, and please do me a kindness by mentioning me to Pharaoh and get me out of this house. For I was in fact kidnapped from the land of the Hebrews, and even here I have done nothing so that they have put me into the dungeon. Verse 16. When the chief baker saw that he had interpreted favorably, he said to Joseph, I also saw in my dream, and behold, there were three baskets of white bread on my head. And in the top basket, there were some of all sorts of baked food for Pharaoh, and the birds were eating them out of the basket on my head. Then Joseph answered and said, this is the interpretation. The three baskets are three days. Within three more days, Pharaoh will lift up your head from you and will hang you on a tree and the birds will eat your flesh off of you. Verse 20, thus it came about on the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, that he made a feast for all his servants, and he lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants. He restored the chief cupbearer to his office, and he put the cup into Pharaoh's hand, but he hanged the chief baker just as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Exciting stuff. Nothing boring going on there. <laughs> Joseph is in prison. He doesn't belong there. It's a bum rap. He's falsely accused. Nobody believes him. Uh, but he winds up in jail. And whatever environment you put this guy in, he excels. And that's one of the marks of Joseph's life. Now, that's something all of us would like to have on our lives, amen, that no matter what happened to us or where we wind up, the favor of God would be on us to such a degree that we would excel no matter what. Have you ever felt like the odds were stacked against you? Have you ever felt like maybe nobody was for you? You know, you look around where you're working in the management team and you're like, yep, nobody likes me here. You know, your boss keeps saying your name wrong, you know, when he goes by, you know. Rico. No, it's Rick. You put this guy in a prison and he excels. Why? Because God was with him. And that's the thing. It came about after these things that the cupbearer and the baker for the king had offended their lord. And the king of Egypt, Pharaoh, was furious with these two officials, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. So he put them in confinement in the house of the captain of the bodyguard in jail. So here's Pharaoh and David is in prison. He's excelled in prison. And, you know, he's become the administrator of the prison. As we talked last time, everything that was going on in there was under his care, was under his control. He had risen up to leadership in prison. Amazing. It's the favor of God. So, you know, he had gifts here. We're going to talk about his spiritual gifts and his administrative gifts, but he had a serious administrative gift, obviously, because when he was in Potiphar's house, he ordered everything in Potiphar's house in such a way that it prospered. Yeah, that was the favor of God. Yeah, that was his anointing. Yes, that was propelling him to his destiny, but this guy had administrative gifts. He could put things in order. You know, he also had, obviously, a gift of discernment and the gift to interpret dreams. And we're going to see those gifts put into use here in just a little bit. But because he was a dreamer, God allowed him to understand dreams. Remember what his brothers called him? Here comes the little dreamer. 
Why? Because he had dreams that they didn't like. So, you know, that was his spiritual gift. He was excited about it. They were not excited. Mostly because in the dreams, they were not portrayed well. If you remember the dreams, you guys are going to serve me and bow down to me. Isn't that great? No. Here comes that little dreamer. So he had administrative gifts, and he had, you know, this gift of interpreting dreams and the gift of discernment. And understand something. You and I have to learn to cultivate both our natural and supernatural gifts. Amen? You say, well, I don't have any. You're wrong. Everyone has natural and supernatural gifts. Everyone has gifts. You say, how can you say that? Because God's word says that we all do. Some of us know exactly what they are. Some of us are not too sure. But as we dig in and discover them, uh, we need the purpose to cultivate them, to work. Understand, you know, all of us are works in process. So here's Joseph, and he's a work in process. He's got natural gifts and supernatural gifts. He's cultivating them. He's using them. And understand something, those gifts that God put in us, when we bring them to a level of excellence, they make space for us. They open doors for us. They get promotions for us. Anybody remember a little dude named David we've been talking about on Sunday? Yeah, well, he could play the harp like nobody could. Remember that? And what happened? Saul was bothered by the spirit, and they said, well, we need somebody who can play really skillfully on the harp, and David's name was at the top of the list. What was that? It was a gift. It was a ministry gift, a music gift that made place for him, that he went from being with the sheep into the king's court. Here we're seeing again gifts put in a person where he's going to go from the jail right into the king's court. Now I want you to note that. Verses 1 through 4, the butler and the baker are having bad days. Okay? Both of these guys. Now imagine working for Pharaoh. If you think you have a bad job with a bad boss, and I'm not saying you don't, but think about a boss who could take your head off if you don't perform well. Well, Rick, that report was really underwhelming. Please report to the gallows for speedy execution. Could you imagine? I mean, they're working for this guy. And you know, Pharaoh, you know, was Pharaoh from when he was little. So he was used to getting his way, obviously uptight. I don't know what these guys did. If it was not a big deal, you know, maybe he, you know, he mashed Pharaoh's muffin, the baker, or maybe, you know, the bread that he made just didn't, you know, it was wonder bread. And the Pharaoh's like, are you kidding me with this? But it doesn't say here, but it does say that he was very angry at them and that he put them both in prison. What a coincidence. Now Joseph's in charge of them. He's getting closer to his destiny here. Joseph is charged with tending these two men, and it's an important job. He also gets a a chance to connect with someone who's close to Pharaoh's ear. That's an opportunity. Now I want you to see something here. Joe doesn't just take care of these guys because, you know, uh, you know, he figures, you know, they can help him or they can do something for him. Uh, He's not manipulative and he's not self-serving, but he does take the opportunity that's afforded him here and he uses it. Listen, these two guys, uh, you know, coming into the prison, they have Pharaoh's ear. He sees an opportunity here. He doesn't minister to them to get something out of them, but he does use and seize the opportunity that's in front of him. You know, and you got to understand when you're dealing with people, you always have to check your fleshly motives. Okay? Man, if you get around 
uh, you know, if you're a rich person, you have to be suspect of everyone around you. Everybody wants something for you. If you have authority, if you're in charge, did you ever, maybe you're in a position of leadership. Maybe you, you know, you've had some wealth. Maybe you've owned a business and you see these people come out of the woodwork. You know, if you hit the lottery, you're going to find cousins you never knew existed. And everybody wants a piece of you. Smile. It's okay. It's good for your face. See, some people are fighting it. You know, so here's these guys and they're, they're, you know, they're connected and they have, you know, an opportunity to help him, but he doesn't help them just to get something that, out of him. You know, the fleshly motives are what is it, what's in it for me or what can this person do for me? L- listen, if you know somebody or if you've ever had an attitude like that, that, you know, you look at people like, what can you do for me? That is a rotten attitude. That's horrible and it's not like Jesus at all. Jesus ministered to people, uh, and all of us, we can do nothing for him. You know, like, hey, Lord, you know, lucky you picked me. I can do some real good things for the kingdom. Are you kidding? All of us are filthy uh, sinners that need salvation. <laughs> it's the people who think they don't that really scare me. So it's not a manipulative thing. It's not an opportunistic thing that he does here. He does keep you know, his motives in check, and he has a right heart, but he takes the opportunity, verse 5, the the butler and the baker both have vivid, confusing dreams that they don't understand and need to be interpreted. So here's, there again, God using uh, the gift that he put in him uh, for his benefit. It says, uh, then the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt who were confined in jail, both, both of them had dreams on the same night. You know, no coincidences here. God is doing something, and and it's working out for Joseph here to use his spiritual gift. Each man with his own dream, and each dream with its own interpretation. So, you know, it's not a coincidence here, but it is really interesting that these two men put under his care have dreams in in the same night and they are connected to joseph and understand something interpreting dreams they don't realize this but interpreting dreams is right in joseph's wheelhouse this is comfortable for him this is easy for him why because he's a dreamer because he's had dreams and the lord has given him the interpretation and he understands these things so these two men that he's watching here that are close to pharaoh's ear you know, they don't even really realize, you know, who Joseph is and, and how he can help them, but they are in the right place at the right time. Now, in verses 6 and 7, Joseph shows genuine concern for the butler and the baker. He notices they're upset. So what does he do? He asks them, what, what's the matter with you? Why are you guys upset today? Well, it's, I mean, not that, you know, being in jail could probably be enough for most people, but I don't know how upset these guys look, but apparently they were more upset than everybody else in jail. And Joseph notices it. Now, I want to say something about that. You know, people who notice other people hurting are the type of people God wants to use. Amen. You see, too many people can walk past people who are on fire and not notice. Have you ever been hurting and everyone around you who should notice doesn't notice? They're not attentive. They don't care. They could care less. They're busy with their own stuff. Come on. 
Joseph, I got a prison to run. I got all kinds of people here. I got a murderer on death row in this corner here. I got two flakes over here that got arrested. You know, I mean, he, he could have said I got a lot of stuff going on. But he notices these two guys. And he takes the time to ask them what's up. And he takes the time to listen to their response. You and I need to care about people enough to be willing to get involved with them when they're hurting. We need more of that in the body of Christ. And so he invests the time. He takes the time. Uh, part of being a, a good servant leader, and that's what we're called to be in the New Testament church. We're servant leaders. We're not overseers or tyrants or, or worker bees and, you know, just let's get the job done at any cost. It doesn't matter. No, we're to be servant leaders. And he's modeling servant leadership here. He's humble enough to care about other people's burdens. Come on, that's New Testament right there. We shouldn't care just about our own burdens or what affects us, but we should care about others. The Bible also says in the New Testament to consider others better than yourself. Wow, that's a fun scripture, isn't it? Most adults are skillful at hiding the reality that they only really care about themselves. You know, ki kids can be selfish and just, you know, they, they can just let it go because they don't know enough to hide it. You ever see two little kids, mine, you know, push, it, push them in the dirt, take it, it's mine, and, you know, selfish. I want it, I want it. it was, I've seen some kids where in the sandbox got to have every toy. You ever seen that kid? Was it you? You know, and it's just like some kids don't hide it, but adults are skillful at hiding when they're selfish. You know, we, we get smart enough to know we should say certain things and not say certain things. And, you know, it, it's like, you know, that what's in it for me attitude, that what can this person do for me attitude. And, you know, it's not a good thing to be in a place where, you know, you're only wrapped up in yourself and you can't feel the others who are hurting around you. You know, the question that a lot of people ask when we greet each other is, how you doing? Anybody, anybody say, how you doing today? Did you really want to know how they were doing? Did you ever say how you're doing and someone tells you? And you're thinking, that's rude. Why are you telling me all this? <laughs> how you doing is not necessarily supposed to be answered. It's almost rhetorical. But think about that. How are you doing? And then the person who really takes the time to listen when you tell them. You know those two people? So the butler and the baker, they sense Joseph's genuine concern for them, and they tell him why they're upset in verse 8. Uh, they have no idea that he is the answer to their issue, that he interprets dreams, and that he's a dreamer, and that you know what they need is exactly the person standing in front of them. And I want to say something about that. They see he cares, so they open up. And in just a minute, they're going to tell the details of their dilemma, okay? But they don't know who they're talking to. Because they don't realize who he is. They think, you know, he's just a Hebrew slave who, you know, got frisky with Mrs. Potter. We heard the stories. And here he is. You know, here he is locked up and he's in charge. How in the world did that happen? But, you know, he seems to care. We're hurting, so we'll open up. They didn't realize who he was. And, you know, many times you and I don't know the skill sets or the gifts or the abilities or the connections of the people around us. You know, not that we should be opportunistic, but God surrounds us with people that can help us. 
Sometimes we have to discover their gifts. Sometimes we write people off too quickly. Oh, you couldn't help me. Oh, you don't care. Are you a, uh, what does he know? <laughs> you know, I've had husbands and wives come into my office for marriage counseling, and they would get candid with me and said, yeah, we were fighting. We didn't want to come here. My wife said, you can't help us. I'm, I'm your pastor. I watch for your soul. What are you doing in my church if I can't help you? So I threw her right out the window. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but I mean, like, th think of the thought process there. Oh, he can't help us. An hour later, they're hugging and kissing, going out the door. Charge them $49.95. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but, you know, we don't, we don't discern the people around us many times. And we think, you know, well, they don't, this person. You never know who God's put around you. Have you ever discovered the, per, the people that were right around you were the exact people you needed to help you. They were the ones sent there to hold your hands up. Wow. These guys don't know who they're talking to, but they're going to in a minute. He shows concern, so they open up. The butler and the baker's problem is that they had vivid and disturbing dreams. Joseph's answer to the fact that they had vivid and disturbing dreams is this. Do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me them. So there again, he, you know, he, he's got a gift. He wants to know the details of the dream, but right away, he gives the glory to God. He didn't say, hey, I got this, man. I'm a dreamer. I'm an interpreter. I got discernment. Try me. No, he says, don't interpretations belong to God? See, we ought to be careful with our gifts that we don't act like they're our gifts and that we're in control of them. They're gifts given to us by God to use to bless other people, not, not just, you know, to fatten our pockets or, to, or, or inflate our egos. I knew I wasn't going to get anything else that. It was like, amen, amen. And then it was like, <laughs> you know, but it, that's not why we're gifted, you know? And we got we to gotta understand that. God didn't give us gifts so we could puff ourselves up. But Joseph gives the glory to God. He says, you know what? Aren't interpretations, don't they belong to the Lord? And he, he brings God into the equation. Now, they're in Egypt, and they worship many idols and many false gods. And these guys, the, the idea of saying the word God to these guys, you have no idea what that's going to trigger in their hearts and minds. But he goes there, and he brings God into the equation. And I want to I tell you something. You and I as believers who have a relationship with Jesus Christ have to always bring God into the equation. God didn't call us to be counselors or comforters or just, you know, problem solvers or, you know, all of these things are good. But if we don't bring God into it, God doesn't get the glory for it and people's lives don't get changed. So he goes there. Oh, don't you know, Joseph, you're not supposed to talk about religion and politics. What did you do? I guess he didn't get the memo. So... He brings God into the equation, and he's not afraid to do it because he, you know, he knows who's going to interpret the dream. Verses 9 through 15, Joseph hears the butler's dream. Now, the butler's dream is pretty interesting, all the components of it. He said the butler dreamed of a vine with three branches. The three branches budded and blossomed and produced grapes. Pharaoh's cup is in my hand, and I press the cup into his hand and the grapes into the cup, and I give it to him. So that's the dream. Now, you might say, wow, that's a vivid dream. I don't know about you, but I usually don't remember my dreams. How many people know? I know my wife probably hits me when I'm snoring and wakes me up and I forget. But, you know, th this is vivid, and there's a lot of details there. Now, I want to say something that there's a lot of details, and they could mean almost anything. 
I mean, if we wanted to just be creative and give a creative interpretation of this dream, we can make it say anything we want. You know, and that's, that's the point I'm trying to make is here. Many times when we're in crisis or we're confused, and if we get a scripture or if we get, you know, a word or a song or whatever, somebody says something to us, we can make it say whatever we want it to say because our emotions are involved. Come on, have you ever been there? You've been going through something and you read a scripture and you, you interpreted that scripture to, to, to make it say what you wanted it to say. Come on, don't look at me like that. Only to realize halfway through the procedure, you, you misapplied that scripture. This happens all the time. This is part of our Christian development. So, you know, it was very important for these guys to, to you know, get somebody else to interpret the dream. If they were going to interpret it themselves, you know, it wasn't going to come out accurate. So, it's a vivid dream. It has lots of details. They can mean everything, anything. You know, interpreting dreams and visions all by ourselves is probably not a good idea. We should always, you know, insulate ourselves because we can convince ourselves to go down wrong paths. Wisdom dictates that we get someone who's spiritually mature, who has proven uh, discernment gifts, and who isn't overly emotionally connected to us to help us. You know, don't ask your mother what the dream meant. Right, because she's going to tell, oh, it means you're going to just be blessed and everything's going to, you're going to get a new job and a car. Right? Oh, you like it, right? That's exactly why you should not go to someone who's overly emotionally connected to you. You should go to someone who's neutral in the situation, who has spiritual gifts, okay? You know, there again, some of you might not know why I'm saying these things, but at some point in life, you're going to, because you're going to be in a crisis, and you're going to need wisdom, and you're going to have to go to somebody, and I'm telling you, here's who to go to, not someone who's going to tell you what you want to hear, because they're so emotionally connected to you, or they love you so much that they couldn't even possibly entertain that something was wrong, or you did something that needs to be repented of, or, or something. Listen, you need to go to someone who's going to tell you the truth, and so... These guys, you know, the first one, he spits out the, the, the dream there, and he, he's, at, he's at the right place at the right time. In verses 12 and 13, Joseph skillfully discerns the meaning of the butler's dream, and he just bangs it off. It's incredible. He says, you know, in, the three branches are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will restore you. He's going to lift up your head, and you're going to serve him as his butler again. So, you know, he, he, he grabs it, he pulls it apart, he shows what all the variables mean, and he gives him the interpretation of the dream. Now, there again, that, that was, you know, something that was skillfully done. He discerns the dream, and the guy's happy with the response there. He said, that, that sounds good to me. No more prison. Back to my job. Now, in verses 14 and 15, we see Joseph didn't interpret the dream to get something from him. But remember, we said he was not manipulative. He wasn't an opportunistic person, but he does seize the opportunity here when it presents itself. And there's a difference between being opportunistic and manipulative and just, you know, trying to work people to get something out of them. There's a difference between that and just, you know, taking advantage of the opportunities that God puts in front of you. Now, I want you to see verses 14 and 15 with a pure heart. You know, Joseph says this uh, to the, the cupbearer. He says, only keep me in mind when it goes well with you, and please do me a kindness by mentioning me to Pharaoh and get me out of this house, 
For I was in fact kidnapped from the land of the Hebrews, and I have done nothing that they should have put me into this dungeon. So he asked him, basically, just remember me. You know, I cared about you. I was kind to you. I used my spiritual gift to encourage you. And, you know, if you could just do something for me when you get out of here, just remember me. It's pretty humble, isn't it? I mean, it's not, you know, he's not asking for uh, so much here. Um, motives are important. You know, he wasn't trying to manipulate this guy, but he sees the opportunity. And his, his request is just remember me, show me kindness, mention me to Pharaoh, and get me out of here. <laughs> I mean, that seems like, you know, an easy thing to do. All this guy had to do was remember him. Now, in verses 16 through 19, Joseph is asked to interpret the baker's dream. The baker was listening, he didn't go first. But he was listening. And since Joseph was spouting all rainbows and sunshine, he thought, well, maybe, you know, <laughs> come on, you got to see the humor in this a little bit, right? He was like, oh, that was good. You know, I like that. Let's see what, you know, my dream is. So in 16 through 19 here, it says, when the chief baker saw he had interpreted favorably, he's like, oh, I like all that rainbows and sunshine. That was good. He said, I also saw in my dream, and behold, there were three baskets of white bread. I told you that's where he went wrong with the wonder bread. <laughs> on my head and in top of the baskets there were all sorts of baked foods for Pharaoh and the birds were eating them out of the basket on my head then Joseph answered and said this is the interpretation the three baskets are three days within three more days Pharaoh will lift up your head and you will be hanged you on a tree and the birds will eat your flesh off of you now I don't know about you but if I was him I'd say can I have a second opinion the first interpretation was good, and this guy noticed it, and he thought, well, you know, I'll give this a try. But, you know, we, we got to see the interpretation here of the baker's dream, uh, you know, is not what he was looking for. Three baskets of bread, one full with baked goods, Pharaoh eating out of the baskets, and the translation is, you know what, you're going to be hanged, and the birds are going to eat the flesh off of your body. Uh, not the interpretation he was hoping for. But there again, I want you to notice something here. Uh, how difficult probably was it for Joseph to give that interpretation? But notice he's a man of integrity. If you want to speak for God, you've got to be willing to say what God says. If you want to be used by God, you've got to be willing to let God use you the way he wants to use you. Amen? Jonah was supposed to go to Nineveh. He didn't want to go to Nineveh. Why? Because the Ninevites were animals. They killed and murdered and raped. They were just, I mean, if you study how the Ninevites operated in there, they were just, you know, they were the terrorists of the day. And Jonah said, if I go there, I know God, you're a good God. They're going to repent and you're going to forgive them. That's why he didn't want to go. And so he went the other way. And we talked about this, the fact that, you know, he got his first air-conditioned submarine ride in the fish until he saw it God's way and then he went and did what he was supposed to do. But notice, Joseph is a man of integrity. He's willing to give whatever the, the report is. He's willing to give whatever the interpretation is. If you want to be used by God, you got to do what God says. We got enough people in the church and behind pulpits and people who say they have prophetic ministries who only say good, happy, clappy, goosebumpy stuff. Now it's quiet. And the truth is, sometimes the word of the Lord is a rebuke. Sometimes the word of the Lord is, you need to repent. 
It's not always happy, clappy, hot tub Christianity. So if you want to be used by God, you've got to be willing to say some stuff. You know, over the course of my ministry, I've said some stuff. If you notice, there's still some empty seats. <laughs> so he gets the interpretation of the dream. It's not what he was hoping for. Um, yet Joseph uses his spiritual gift with integrity. People who are called to speak for the Lord have to say what the Lord says, and he does it. He's faithful. Now, in verses 20 through 23, we see the scorecard here of Joseph's prophetic accuracy. You know, anybody can say they have a gift, but, you know, you don't, you, the gift needs to be tested and proven, amen? Have you ever, has somebody ever tell you they could cook, and then they invited you over for dinner? Come on. Don't look like that out there. Maybe... You know what I'm saying? I mean, they're like, oh, I'm, you know, oh, my wife's a good cook. And you come over and it's just like, man. You had to pray after you ate. This one person said, I got the gift of baking and they baked me something. I was like, no, you, you don't. So... The scorecard's important here. He, he said what he said. He made his pr prophetic predictions here. Now we're going to see if it comes to pass, and that's the most important thing. Verse 20 shows us the true test of all prophetic things. Thus it came about on the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, that he made a feast for all his servants, and he lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker, among his servants. He restored the chief cupbearer to his office and he put the cup into Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker just as Joseph interpreted to them. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph but forgot him. So let's just stop right there. Joseph's dreams and interpretations there were 100% accurate. Okay? So prophecy is not, you know, 51% and you're a prophet. Hello? In the Old Testament, if a prophet prophesied and it didn't come to pass, they stoned them. How does that jive with the New Testament church? Where we got people running all over saying they're prophets and they make prophecies in public and they put them on the internet. And these things, you know, I mean, I'm not sure sometimes these, some of these guys, not even 50%. It's quiet now. You, what, are you sending them money? You're offended now? <laughs> if, you're, if you have a prophetic gift, it's an accurate prophetic gift. Nobody's perfect, and there was a school of the prophets, and they developed their gift. But listen, you got people saying all kinds of stuff, and it doesn't happen. That's not prophecy. That's not, that's not, a, that's just not a spiritual gift. That's like a, maybe a good guesser. <laughs> you're not a prophet. Maybe you're a weatherman. Get, you know... Do that. Doesn't, that. doesn't that drive you crazy? I got a dartboard that's more accurate than AccuWeather. I mean, it's just, yeah, AccuWeather, that's right. So he's right on 100%. You know, look what Pharaoh does here. He throws himself a big birthday bash, and he invites his two buddies out of, out of jail. This guy really knows how to throw a party. That must have been a little awkward. If, if that wasn't awkward enough, one he restores, and the other one he hangs. I mean, who wants to party after that? So it's 100%, right on the money. He, you know, he, he's... 
obviously gifted from God. He obviously is connected to God. He obviously hears from God. And, you know, I want to say to our generation with all the psychics and the occultists and the Kreskin, the magician, and Nostradamus and all of these guys, you know, these play, you got to pay for a prophecy. Pastor Forbes was talking about you can call up on the phone and pay money and someone will send you a word. It's, um, it's true. And I want to say something to all our generation. God will not be mocked. The spiritual gifts that the enemy tries to counterfeit, that people use to make money for themselves. Listen, the judgment that is attached to that is very sobering. The Bible talks about it. You, if you're saying, thus saith the Lord, and God didn't say anything, you better repent and be careful. So... Joseph's got a gift. He used it 100% accurate. Pharaoh's birthday bash, you know, what a great time. He uh, brings one guy up, restores him. The other one he hangs just like it was said. Uh, but verse 23 vividly displays a human flaw, a character flaw that I want to take a look at. And we'll close the chapter down with this. But it says, yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. I just want to cover this a little bit, you know, because the, the, the dark fatal flaw here is this, and we've all experienced it. People are disloyal. People are unfaithful. And it's a problem. It is amazing how rare loyalty is these days. It is amazing how forgetful people are when it's time to keep their word. It's amazing who will promise you things, say they're going to do stuff, you know, make a commitment and just blow it off. It's amazing how people are like pirates with no loyalty. Let's go here. Let's go there. And in the church, it's, it's, it's terrible. You get saved. You get raised up. You get taught. You get mentored. You get counseled. And then you just quit and you walk away. Break a pastor's heart. We've got to cultivate loyalty in the body of Christ. We've got to cultivate integrity in the body of Christ. We have to be able to keep our word in the body of Christ. Used to be you could do business on a handshake. Now you can't even do business with three lawyers in the room. Right? People don't even keep contracts anymore. Wow. Joseph experiences more grief at the hands of unfaithful men all the guy had to do was remember him all the guy had to do was just mention his name but it says here that he forgot him the baker didn't keep his word he doesn't honor joseph's humble request he doesn't remember him what a hard place for this young man to be in a prison falsely accused sold by his brothers forgotten his family thinks he's dead now, he seems to have a shot here, but the person who had to do a little favor for him after he helped him out with a pure heart forgot him and dropped the ball. Many times in life, people are going to let us down and drop the ball. People are not going to be faithful. They're not going to keep their promises. But I want to encourage you tonight, though every man be a liar, though every person fail you, God will never, ever turn his back on you. And he'll be faithful to you. And sometimes that's all we're going to have is our hope in him. Let's bow our heads tonight.
Father, I just thank you for Genesis, Lord, as we're studying the beginning of all these things, Lord, and there's so much in here that applies to us. Father, these are not just stories for our entertainment, but it's your living, breathing word. And so as we extract these principles out here, I pray, Holy Spirit, you would burn these deep into our hearts that we would remember these things to act with integrity, to keep our word, to, to develop our spiritual gifts and to develop our natural gifts. Father, to use what you've given us, not just to enrich ourselves, but to bless others, to be caring and concerned for other people. There's hurting people all around us, yet this world wants us to wrap ourselves up in ourselves, to be so concerned with what's going on and what's on our phone and what's on TV and what's on the computer till we get so disconnected from people that we don't interact with each other and hurting people we pass by every day. But we have the answer for them, but we didn't give them our time. Help us, Lord. Help us to be like Joseph, not opportunistic, not self-centered, not manipulative, but to just have a pure heart to use our gifts to serve others. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Give him praise tonight. Praise God.